Salam guys, I'm Mohsin. Welcome to this episode of Millionaire Muslim. Before we get into this episode, we just wanted to spend a few seconds telling you about Islamic Finance Guru, or IFG for short. Mohsin and I co-founded IFG in 2015 because we couldn't find content about personal finance and Islamic finance for Muslims like you and I. Nowadays, alhamdulillah, we reach an audience of hundreds of thousands and our goal is to keep providing great content to help you guys. So if you're looking for halal investments and Islamic mortgages or startup funding, check us out at islamicfinanceguru.com. And if you want to get in touch with us directly, you can get me on mohsin at islamicfinanceguru.com and you can get Ibrahim on ibrahim at islamicfinanceguru.com. Enjoy the episode. Looking for a different approach to money? Meet Gatehouse Bank a Sharia-compliant UK bank built for the modern world. We help home buyers to purchase or refinance their home, provide buy-to-let funding for landlords, and offer award-winning savings accounts. Wherever you're going, get there a different way. Get there with Gatehouse. To find out more, visit gatehousebank.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone and welcome back to the news roundup episode uh, 4 episode what 4 Trump? back with the original crew from episode 1 we've got with us our investment associate Muhammad Al-Talib and we've got Ibrahim Khan the co-founder of Islamic Guru and I am Khizr Muhammad community lead and yeah, we're back for episode one with some exciting and slightly controversial news stories. So kind of like a trigger warning for you sensitive snowflakes out there. But yeah. Uh, Islamic guru. Who do you work for again? Islamic guru. <laughs> Islamic finance guru. That's it. That's it <laughs> there that's we go. It. I thought you were going to forget my name as well. I was like, oh, oh my God. This is, oh, there's this going to be no coming back from I'd this. I'd be like, Mustard, you've come back uh, with a full head of hair from Dubai. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, right, Ibrahim, what story do you have for us today? So the big news is the Taliban is back. Oh, mashallah. Like uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger once said, Did he? I'll be back. No, <laughs> nothing about the Taliban. And I guess the question is, how do we feel about that? Is that is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? What do you think? I mean, is that even a question? Of course, it's a terrible thing. <laughs> I mean, this group which we've been fighting for so many years are now back. They're so desperate to leave. They're hanging onto the ends of planes and falling to their deaths. It's terrible. <laughs> I mean, personally, I, I think it's a good thing, really. And the reason I'll say this is, I've said this before, actually. I think personally that what America and the West have done to Afghanistan and to all these other countries like Taliban aside, right? Look, I'm not defending their bad stuff at all. But what I'm saying is what the West has done to the countries across the world, and it has gone on long for a long kind of unchecked reign where they've kind of reigned terror, killed so many civilians. I mean, there's so many like reports that are released about this now, about the kind of civilian casualties that have gone on that it's finally kind of refreshing to see a grassroots community that is actually supported by the population to a great extent to actually gain a victory over what I would call American imperialism. Muhammad, you're, I can see you're like I mean, absolutely frothing at the mouth. There's a lot to unpack there. I mean, one, you have to separate American imperialism, as you called it, from the Taliban and frankly, a terrorist group on the ground to what Afghanistan wants to be as an independent country. 
Uh, I mean, even if you think about the history of, of Afghanistan, it wasn't America wasn't the first one. There was the Soviet Union, which which first invaded. And before then, you know, it's, it's always been kind of a, a transition point. Afghanistan is on the Silk Road, a mix of a lot of beautiful cultures. And now to say, you know, it's a grassroots movement, you know, supported by the local population. I think that is a bit of a stretch. But I don't think those people hanging off on the airplane support the Taliban, to be very frank. I, I, I don't know about that, you know, Mohammed. I think you, because I'm a Desi, right? And I know what, what's going to happen in Kabul right now. When, when that was happening, all of the guys would be like on WhatsApp, look, guys, the Americans are literally taking anyone to America right now. If you just get there and tell them that you're like you hate the Taliban and everyone's like, oh, my days, that's fantastic. Everyone lads straight to the airport and then, you know, whatever it takes, get over the barbed wire. You know, the, the Taliban or the, you know, when the Russians, the Mujahideen, when they were fighting against the Soviet Union, the Soviet Union army camps had like these barbed wires around them and they had like sheep in those enclosures. And the Taliban, every night they would come and they would just raid it. And so the Soviet Union, they decided, let's put electricity through this wire so that it keeps the sheep safe. And so the next night, there was no sheep gone. But then the night after that, all the sheep were gone again. And they found a whole load of blankets on the fence. So these guys are like hustlers. And I think it's a desi way. Just to add to that, I think like, when we look at all those videos about people like fleeing from their lives, if you actually look carefully to these videos, a lot of people are actually running with the plane and smiling and laughing, even though they're not on the plane. For them, I really do think that, look, there is no way that those soldiers could have literally walked into all of those cities and taken them in literally a matter of a few days if there was no support from the civilians because people would have fought back. The army would have fought back. I mean, it took America literally like months just to like but get into certain cities. That's all fine, right? There's like some level of like low-lying consent perhaps or like, you know, fear. But Khizr, is it still a good thing for Afghanistan? That's the other big question. I think like we have to be pragmatic and I think you have to assess it individually. Look, the Soviets weren't good for Afghanistan because they sought to just mine it out of its resources fine. and add it to its fine. empire. America was literally doing the same thing. You know, while America had invaded Afghanistan, opium productions were through the roof. In the Taliban's reign, it was like down to like literally nothing. Where do you think the Taliban's been getting all their money all these years? People They're the biggest them. exporters of opium. No, but they've been funded by so many organizations and countries just like other groups. If you look at the revenue share, happened. where the Taliban's been getting their money so far, a significant portion has been through drug exports. And that's probably not going to change anytime soon, given that they need a lot of money to run a country now and international aid has stopped, basically. Well, well, they've actually announced recently that they will be completely ending opium production in Afghanistan. As well as that, we already know from recent stories that Afghanistan is literally sitting on trillions worth of precious metals. Let's talk about that, actually, because let me just look up the data around that. You said trillions of pounds worth of lithium, right? And, and other precious and metals, actually, yeah. you know, the reason why we're talking about this on uh, <laughs> Islamic Finance Guru <laughs> is because of the finance aspect. And I find this fascinating. Like, look, you know, putting the politics aside, you know, I think that the Taliban, they've become a lot more sophisticated over 20 years. They're still, very candidly speaking, I think, not as educated or as sophisticated as they need to be. But crucially, they've realized that. And they're bringing on technocrats and, you know, they're getting on people to make them function, you know, the state. But the big question is on the finance side of things, how are things going to play out? Because, you know, historically, a state like Afghanistan needs a load of money, foreign aid. It also needs a lot of debt 
from people like the IMF and the World Bank. And there's also the potential of you know trying to replace that now with the underlying economy and taxation on the economy and all of that sort of thing. And I'm quietly, very, very quietly optimistic about the potential within Afghanistan because I think that if anyone can whip that country into shape, sometimes quite literally without any kind of judgment on that, it would be the Taliban because they have that grassroots like network and they have the tribal allegiances. But also it seems now they've got this like kind of semi-awakening where they're, you know, they actually are thinking about the future and a bit more forward looking. Am I completely wrong? Is that like too rosy, do you think? But politics aside, I mean, no doubt there is, you know, huge underlying resources and people like China and, and Russia already eyeing that very, very closely. I mean, China's, uh, what is it called, the Road and Belt Initiative passes right through Afghanistan. So their eyes are prying and, you know, those resources will definitely be exploited one way or another. Lithium is obviously, you know, a very important component in today's technological world. And whether that's going to be a good thing for the people of Afghanistan, I don't know. I mean, a lot of time, resource-rich countries are conflict zones, um, never benefits the, the local people. And it just benefits, you know, either corrupt politicians or the countries that external countries that exploit them. But it's always good to be optimistic. Never a bad thing. I think, and I just want to add this. I was having a very interesting conversation with Saif and your brother Ibrahim yesterday, where Saif was actually telling us that in recent times, the demand for lithium has massively increased for two reasons. One is uh, lithium and a few other precious metals are essential components in things like cars because all cars have chips in them now because cars are essentially smart now yeah. and uh, you know in electric cars lithium is a key component so the rise of electric cars and you know the western governments almost all of them have set kind of some level of targets for cutting emissions and getting you know rid of old polluting cars so that demand is there and companies like Tesla and every other car company are really producing in that front. And then the other thing is cryptocurrency. The boom of cryptocurrency has led to a lot of people mining cryptocurrency. And that takes and to mine it, you yeah. need graphic cards and yeah, graphic yeah. cards are made of, guess what? Precious metals. So all of these, I think it's very opportune that at this time, Afghanistan is literally sitting on all of this stuff. And now we've got a government that's actually made of the Afghan people are not just propped up by the West. And look, like I said, again, politics aside, I'm not defending the Taliban as like being the bastions of Islam and these guys are like the best guys. I'm just saying like, in terms of, do I think it's a optimistic front? I'm very optimistic in that front. And I hope that, you know, it goes well. And from what we've seen from the last, you know, 10 days of their reign, things are looking very different to what their reign was when they were in 2001. Mainly because now we've got, like you said, Ibrahim, we've got younger faces. We've got people that are more clued on, like quite a few of the Taliban fighters know, like speak very clear English as well. Um, you can tell that education is a little bit higher. You know, they've actively involved women in journalism and, and politics. And, you know, we're starting to see developments so, in that front. Looking positive. And I think, yeah, I guess our du'as are with the people of Afghanistan and uh, that... We pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes the Taliban righteous and live up to their responsibilities over Afghanistan. Ameen, ameen. Okay, on to our next story. Now, this comes with a bit of an R rating. So if you are a younger viewer, maybe it might be better to, uh, you know, skip to the next 
timestamp, inshallah. So, oh, yeah, and like every younger viewer who's just listened to that is definitely going to do that now, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I have to put the disclaimer there, otherwise parents are going to be commenting, oh my God, how can you be talking about this on an IOG YouTube podcast? But anyway, OnlyFans. Now, everyone who's anyone has probably heard this story before, but for those of you that don't know what OnlyFans is, because we're all good Muslims and we don't know about these like, you know, evil, insidious things. OnlyFans is a creator platform. Essentially what it is, is that anyone can make an account, create whatever content they want, and then people will pay a subscription for your content. So you can put classes on there, you can put vlogs on there, you can put cooking lessons, whatever you want. But the platform has kind of become known for its adult content because it doesn't prevent any kind of explicit content. Usually adults, mainly women, use it to put on sexually explicit content and people pay them a lot of money to see these photos or videos. And there's no bounds, like there's nothing that's not allowed except for what's illegal. Billions, in fact, every month. Oh yeah, five, literally, I was just reading, creators have earned five billion plus on the platform and it's relatively new. So, I mean, that's crazy, crazy. and OnlyFans takes like a 20% cut of whatever the people get. And I think the top 300 creators on there earn more than 1 million a year. But this has led to a dilemma, as we'll see, which is basically the story. So the dilemma is that essentially a lot of banks ha are denying payments to OnlyFans because of it being sexually explicit content. Or so, so they say. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll go into that in a sec. But last week, OnlyFans announced that they're not going to be allowing sexually explicit content on their platform anymore. And they want to focus on more safe for work content. Like no, but they didn't say that though, did they? They said they're going to ban really like hardcore content, but not like just like nudity. Nudity is allowed, but like hardcore content is not allowed. Yeah, but the lines around that were like pretty grey. You know, I like mean, what's hardcore content but in they, today's they were very, world? They were very specific. They were very specific about, I mean, there's actually a legal uh, maxim on this, which because in America they had to judge on what was hardcore and softcore because hardcore was not allowed and softcore was. And, you know, there were Supreme Court judges who had to watch, you know, <laughs> this, stuff, this stuff. And then basically there was like a line from this ruling, which was that, Basically, hardcore is, you know, you know it when you see it, essentially, was, the, was that the line. <laughs> yeah, but that's not the definition. No, but I, I actually think it's fairly clear, right? Wherever there's, and, you know, apologies for, like, being really explicit, but like, nudity, I think, would be softcore. And then anything where there's, like, two people involved and, you know, there's stuff happening, that goes into the kind of extreme territory. And that's the stuff that they're banning. But the thing is, like, that kind of stuff is like played in like 15 plus movies where there's two people involved. While they're banning it. I actually think this entire thing is a publicity stunt. You think? Well, I mean, they've reversed yeah. it now, haven't they? Yeah, but they literally reversed the ban yesterday saying that banks had given them reassurance that financial partners had given them reassurance that they'll allow transactions. I actually agree with you. I think it was a huge publicity stunt. And now anyone that has not heard of OnlyFans has, heard has of OnlyFans. now definitely heard of OnlyFans. So over the last week, apparently it spiked, their traffic spiked by about, I think, 28 million wow. Uh, wow. on wow. monthly like traffic. And yeah, I've actually got the statistics here. It grew from 20 million users to a stunning, oh, within, 100, within one year it grew from 20 million users to a stunning 120 million users. So this I'm talking about monthly active like visits to their website. It grew like a massive amount over the last few weeks to like 28 million people. 
And I think it's just a very, very clever way of uh, getting marketing. So let me take this moment to say that IFG has also banned sexually explicit content on our platform as well so you know it's good you, on us yeah so if you uh and we've done it for a few reasons one is because our banking partners won't allow it <laughs> and the more important reason our islamic banking partners won't allow it and also it happens to be haram uh so it happens to be minor it, detail uh, my apologies to any of the creators affected on our platform <laughs> but there we are we may well reverse this in a week's time uh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to be reversing that policy anytime soon. But it's interesting, right? Because what I wanted to discuss was OnlyFans from a financial perspective. And as a kind of startup, they've made a huge amount of money, but they've had trouble attracting investors. And this is kind of what they argue was why they had this whole discussion about banning the explicit content and focusing more on safer work content like yoga. And I think Cardi B like does some singing stuff on there. From what I heard, I don't know. But basically, many VC funds have vice clauses. From what I know, maybe, Mohammed, you might be able to elaborate on that. But it prevents investors from investing in anything that might be considered like bad, like the pornography industry, alcohol, tobacco, weapons. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. like, yeah, that kind of stuff. So it limits the potential of OnlyFans as well as, you know, impacts investment. But at the same time, users want this. Users want the sexually explicit content. So now how do you balance trying to attract investment versus users' needs when they're conflicting? What do you think, Mohammed? I mean, it depends on what perspective you're looking at from. From a VC's perspective, because their own investors back the VC, and a lot of times those are government-backed entities, so like pension funds, and the government does not want to be involved in anything close to this, especially if it's, you know, the people's money. Uh, so a lot of times it's not the VC who doesn't want to, it's more their own LPs or their own investment backers. But in terms of the users wanted, I think, I mean, there is an argument both ways. You can talk about TikTok, for example. I'm not a very big fan of TikTok because I kind of think what value is it bringing to the world? Is it just making us more drones and addicted to social media and this kind of very quick dopamine hits and even though users are demanding it would we be better off in the world without it maybe so a similar argument could be made in this case but overall if they're making a lot of revenue they will definitely find backers i don't think that's ever going to be an issue it may not be you know a vc fund but it'll be some you know russian billionaire, billionaire who's going to put a bunch of money in it i think only fans when it started it was already on a shady footing. It's not like a traditional startup founder backed by some investor built a platform. They were very covert in the way they set up OnlyFans. I think it was already set up. I think there was some Russian involvement. I'm not too sure. But from the beginning, they've never been straightforward anyways. It's always Russians. So should Muslims be part of OnlyFans? What do you think, Habzi? Should Islamic finance gurus set up on OnlyFans? <laughs> it would be a great publicity stunt, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm just trying to make this burning point, right? I reckon the adult content is one of the major cash cows. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. Yep. The question is, you know, should Muslims be on there? I've not really seen OnlyFans, so I don't know how it works. I don't know if you guys have. Is it like Instagram or TikTok where you're kind of all in there in the same kind of web page? Or is it separate web pages? It's a bit like, you know, Shopify or something where OnlyFans gives you the infrastructure or Patreon, like it gives you the infrastructure, but then you've got your own like little separate page. I think it's like that because you have to pay for a subscription for each individual creator's platform. Right. Say like Mohammed has a page and you have a page. If I want to access any of your pages, which are inshallah yeah. very clean, yeah. 
I would have to pay Mohammed his monthly fee of yeah, maybe 10 okay. pounds a month. And then I can access and see his content. Yeah, okay, Otherwise, fine. I think you can upload some free content. I don't know how it works. I've yeah. never checked it out, nor do I plan to. But on the question of whether Muslims should be involved, I mean, it's a sticky one, right? Because the page doesn't exist for the purpose of explicit content, yet it makes a lot of money from it. At the same time, the same thing can be said about TikTok and Instagram when they first came out, because when a large part of the content on TikTok and Instagram is literally, for example, women just dressing in a certain... Well, it was and still is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So the same argument. Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. I think with Facebook, it's a bit less because it's more arguably, stuff. Arguably even Google, right? And even Amazon. Obviously, the sexual element of it is like something that is very visual. So you feel like, oh, you know, that's bad. But you know, Amazon selling, I don't know, alcohol or something, or Uber Eats is selling, you know, cigarettes. What is the moral difference between that and OnlyFans? I mean, I think there is a, a bit of a line drawn because OnlyFans has become known as the platform for these very sexually explicit content, whereas other platforms are not known for that. Sure. I think that yeah. is kind of the line, maybe the same difference in softcore and hardcore that you mentioned. Yeah, no, I, I, I take that it's, point. It's, it's also a case of like, I think a key difference is when you go on Amazon, and suddenly a wine bottle appears, you're not going to be like, oh my God, it's yeah. it's a wine bottle. Yeah. You're going to just be like, okay, it's a wine bottle, thing, I'm not going to purchase it. Whereas with Instagram, suddenly a, a woman comes. Yeah, yeah sure, but that's, but that's the thing, right? So Instagram arguably is worse from a fiqh perspective or Islamic perspective than OnlyFans. Wow. Because, you know, OnlyFans, if you're just going on there for like, a, you know, I don't know, like a Mufti Meng sets up on OnlyFans, let's say, <laughs> right? And you just go on his channel and that's all you do. You're never going to get exposed to like all of the other people on OnlyFans because that's not how it works. But, so, but, but there's OnlyFans a... exposing you. Are they like throwing all these like... No, no. Pictures or anything? Maybe. No, absolutely not. No, no, no but there no. might be temptation to go. Like what if you see like other top 10 creators pages, you just click on it and then all of a sudden you see the top seven of them are just women in bikinis okay. and stuff. So I, like, I don't know how, I mean, obviously this is the mechanics of it, but let's say that doesn't happen and let's say it's just in isolation, then I actually think that it's literally just infrastructure. I do agree though for like, rather than like the letter of the law, for the spirit of the law, you should probably stay away from it. But I actually don't think it's that clear cut. What do you guys think? Tell us in the comments below if you think Muslims should be on OnlyFans. If you guys really think Muslims should be, I will convince Ibrahim to open an IFG OnlyFans account. But tell us in the comments below, inshallah. All right, let's crack on with the next story. Let's and let's uh, make Mohammed the uh, oracle this time. You know? The oracle, okay. The oracle, so future ball gazing. Mm -hmm. So tell us, Mohammed, what are we talking about now? Uh, well, a few things have been happening in the world of technology. The first is Tesla had their AI conference recently, live streamed on YouTube as they, as they always do. And a lot of exciting announcements. I mean, I'm comparing this a lot to Apple. I don't know if you guys ever, you know, remember what happened in, in, in the past, but Apple was the company people used to like, you know, wait in, in line for, add to the calendars for, it was WWDC was, you know, the big event. And now, you know, nobody remembers when Apple's next event is, just like the next version of the iPhone. Whereas now, you know, Tesla is the big company people are focusing on and, you know, waiting for whatever exciting announcements they make. A lot of exciting things they're doing. Basically, what they said was, you know, we are an AI company that is looking for a lot of different use cases. You know, self-driving cars is one, but there's a bunch of others it's always kind of been the case. I think there's obviously a lot of publicity and marketing. But, you know, right at the end of the event, they announced and revealed a humanoid robot. So this is a robot that looks like a human. 
um, supposedly acts like a human. Uh, and Tesla's vision is for the robot to do all your mundane tasks that you don't want to do, like the shopping. And I mean, I enjoy shopping, but some people may not. <laughs> and You'll be the other, only guy in Tesla. <laughs> the only, exactly. All these humanoids around. But quite interestingly, they, uh, you know, they very clearly said that we have designed the mechanics of the robot to be weaker than the average human. So it's a 5.8. I think it can deadlift like 150 pounds, which I mean, supposedly is, is below the average human. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know too much about that, but I suppose you, you should be able to overpower it and run away from it, is what Tesla said. Um, so interesting, interesting um, developments. I just have to say that I'm completely against the idea of humanoid robots because I have watched every Terminator movie <laughs> and we all know what happens. We say, oh yeah, these robots are going to serve us. They're going to help us. And then what happens? The AI gets too smart and then it does something where they're like, oh yeah, the ro robot is weaker than you. Then the AI like changes the mechanics in the factories to make them super strong and they've got machine guns coming out of them. And then the next thing you know, we're living a reality of an apocalypse where you know we're living in caves while you know robot drones are like scanning for us and their foot soldiers are like coming after us and destroying us all so no thank you i can do my own shopping it's a very human element very human thing to do and i don't need a robot butler please have you seen this uh, humanoid yeah you can you can watch videos on it it was at the conference they they announced it they didn't do much i thought it was going to dance but i didn't i don't think it danced <laughs> was it even ai though was it or was it just like there's levels of AI, isn't there? Yeah, no, but, but Tesla is a very deep AI company. And sure, but we're not very far in AI. That We're getting the... a lot better. You'll be surprised how ahead we are. I mean, that's kind of their whole, the whole spiel is that we are the best uh, at AI and mechanics and they want to build everything in-house. They, also, they also revealed a new chip yeah. to be able to do all their in-house processing as well. So this AI and mechanics stuff, this is what I mean, right? So like this humanoid-looking robot, let's forget the fact that it looks a bit human. That's beside the point. It's doing mundane tasks. Yeah. It sounds like it's, you know, quite a primitive level of AI. And yeah, well, well, that's the thing, though, because it depends on the program that you use, yeah. right? These are self-learning, you know, algorithms. And I don't think we've got to the point where, you know, we human being like a human being level kind of sophisticated intelligence is possible. Like it's not we've literally not got. To well, that point I think the machine intelligence and human intelligence is quite different. Um, exactly. We're very good at the consciousness part of things. Uh, machines are very much the longer term memory. So that, you know, the long term memory of humans is terrible. Yeah. Uh, of machines, obviously, is almost infinite. And the way also, you know, we call them neural networks as if they, they're very similar to how the brain works, but it's quite different, actually. Yeah. But in terms of, you know, the certain tasks that machines are better at, they will become a thousand times better than humans, and they already are. Yeah, because I disagree with your suspicion of this kind of robot. I think we should be forward-looking on it. But I do agree with you that, you know, long-term, where we're heading, that is actually pretty dangerous territory because all it takes is... Because what we're trying to do here is we're trying to build something, but without fully understanding what we are building. But like genuinely, like that's what it means to be an artificial intelligence algorithm. Because you're setting up like a bunch of rules or a bunch of like initial you know conditions, and you're equipping that algorithm to be self-learning and to change its own algorithm to then you know kind of continue learning, and that's quite a dangerous thing like once we hit you know 20 30 50 years whatever it's going to take at a certain point i think you know those kind of apocalyptic scenarios could become very real i mean one, one thing so i'll add to this in the sense that 
Okay, there's one thing on the the post-apocalyptic side, and that's just probably a result of me like watching too many movies. But on the other side, I also do think the real danger is that I think many tasks that like mankind have considered completely normal are now being automized. And I just don't think that's necessary. And I think it's unhealthy because what this is driven by is very much a kind of capitalistic, extremely capitalistic society where everything's about productivity. And then what happens is that when you've got all your tasks handled for you, for example, your ironing, your washing shopping, machine. everything. You want to get rid of the washing machine? I mean, to a certain extent, it works, right? But if you literally automate everything. Get rid of the, everything... oven. Get rid of the cooker. <laughs> no, but you, you become literally, you know that movie, Wally? Where yeah. like literally yeah, yeah, you yeah. get like humans that sit in these giant little orbs just like, you know, working and then entertaining themselves. And that's literally it. They go toilet in these machines. They don't move. Well, he, he, don't here's, happen, here's, here's a better. Well, it, I can see it happening, to be honest. But here's the better, the better outlook. Muhammad, you're never going to stop exercising and like rock climbing and maybe. You know. but, but but actually, that, that's the good point. So here's the better overview of that: we automate everything, that we are just free to be creative. So we can do whatever you know we creatively want to do and enjoy our time. And we can paint and we can rock climb and we can, you know, do whatever else we want to do because everything else is done for us and you never have to work again. I mean, I think that's a pretty good uh, view of the world. Fair might just be the pessimist in me. And also, like, you know, all this automation is going to, if we run a tech business, right? So, you know, it requires a lot of maintenance. Yeah. And so you don't just build, you also maintain and you iterate. You know, the first time the first washing machine was built, it wasn't perfect. It still isn't perfect. And I'm sure they're like, you know, coming up with new technology for it. So there will always be work for people. Yeah. Uh, and they'll always, you know, need to kind of improve. On but it's, it's, it's the kind of work as well. It's, it'll be the creative work. And, you know, it'll be scientists really delving into a topic and really enjoying it because they want to do that, not because they're forced to or have to. So I think that's quite a good overview of the world. Right. OK, so we've got a little bit of time left. So I think if we share some key stories that we might be interested in, I think, or any other company stories that anyone thinks are of interest, we can round up on that point. So anyone got anything? I mean, uh, one that I have, it's not really a new news story, but there was a conference that I attended on longevity recently. So longevity is extending our health through d during old age, but also, you know, potentially extending our lifetimes by, you know, amounts that we're able to. And there's a bunch of different things that people are doing, but it's progressing very, very rapidly these days. So things like gene therapy, but also simple things like how we should be living our lives to maximize our health throughout our ages. So I was reading an article actually on our ligaments and, and our movement. And, you know, as modern people in, in the UK, that becomes very bad over time. But if you look at people who live in developing countries, like in, um, especially they were saying about in, in Asia, in, you know, in, in like places like Pakistan and India, you see there's like very old people squatting on the street, very flexible. They're able to reach down and touch their toes. And the reason is because we ha we're not using our ligaments in the correct manner. And they give basic guidelines on how you should be, you know, doing these movements and exercises to make sure that you keep squatting was a big one. So humans know not squat. We shouldn't be using chairs. <laughs> so uh, try to get into squatting. So Let's I found that very, very next, interesting. Next news round of squatting. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, we could actually just remove the chairs. Yeah. And then the one of us is going to have to nip to the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> true, true. Okay, I wanted to share a key story. And I thought this would be really interesting. And it's the Virgin Hyperloop story. And I think that there's so much potential in that technology because I think I read somewhere that China was already kind of exploring about how they could use 
this Hyperloop technology. So for the viewers who don't know what the Virgin Hyperloop is, essentially it's a rail that has pods attached to it, kind of like a train, but it's run through magnets, electromagnets, and literally these pods are sped to like crazy speeds and you can get to practically anywhere in the world. So China's looking at connecting ch mainland China to, I think, America, I think California in particular, and it would only be a few hours journey crossing the whole uh, Pacific Ocean, right? To the Pacific Ocean, yeah. I mean, the potentials are limitless and this is zero emission technology. Like goodbye planes, goodbye long drives, just hop in one of these uh, crazy. little crazy magnet pods. I mean, if they pull it off, it'll be quite impressive. But I think for now, it's a lot of hype. I think the video they released is just a, a CGI oh, mock-up. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, also, you know, there are a lot of different talks about whether it's actually viable or not. But I think it's quite exciting. You know, when is the latest transportation technology after the plane and the train? You know, I think we need, we need something new again. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Well, Ibrahim, any... any um, nothing much from my side, really. I'm experimenting with bot trading okay. on, on cryptocurrency at the moment. Bot trading? So uh, I'll report back on that. I've made, I think, like, is it 50 or $100 so far? So not... not but how much money much. did you put in? That's the question. It's only been a few days. I put in, like, maybe about two grand. Okay, two, that's, two. that's really good for two days. So it's, uh, let's just see how it all plays out. But if it does well, then we're definitely going to cover it on IFG. Uh, <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, I'll keep you in the loop. Quite exciting. Well, yeah, definitely. Well, you heard it here, folks. If you guys uh, keep an eye out for the next episode of the News Roundup, we're going to get an update from Ibrahim on how his crypto bot trading is going and where that's essentially going to go. But Jazakallah khairan for staying with us thus far. And inshallah, see you for the next episode. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. If you got this far, you must have enjoyed the podcast, which means you'll definitely love our other episodes and other content we produce as well, inshallah. Be sure to check out the website, islamicfinanceguru.com as well as our YouTube channel and social media. Until next time, Assalamu Alaikum.